Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're watching online or whether you're here, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians. But I know that's not Romans this morning. I'm not confused, but I could be. But I'm not. Uh, we are, uh, as we call sometimes in our journey through the book of a Bible, parking the car, so to speak, to look at something more specifically that that your pastor and your pastors think that we need to address as a church and make sure that we understand. And, and as you remember, we've been, we've been talking about um, salvation by faith alone. We call that justification, that we have been declared righteous through faith in Christ alone in his work, not ours. And so Paul's being redundant in in Romans to make sure that we understand that there is nothing that comes beside of that. There's no right. We brought up circumcision. It'll be in here in the text today. Again, circumcision is not something that comes beside of faith or before faith. And, and, and today we wanted to bring up this issue for the next two weeks of Baptism and the Lord's Supper to make sure that we understand what does it biblically mean and how to then is it applied in the life of the church and in the life of the believer. And so that's what we're looking at. We're going to use Colossians 2, 9 to 15. And just so you know, lay out for you what we're going to accomplish today. A little bit different. I'm going to do a, a light exposition of this text to start with. And then basically what I want to do is to prod you a little bit to read these books. They're out there on a black table out in the lobby. We have one that's Understanding Baptism. There's another one called Understanding the Lord's Supper. We're talking about baptism today. And basically what I'm going to do in my second point is just go through chapter 1 with you to help you understand what is baptism biblically. And uh, so I want you to, that's, that's our plan for the day. So let's stand with you, stand with each other in honor of God's word today. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in a powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and have put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. So, Lord, we have come to you today for a specific purpose to help, to ask you to help us to understand this ordinance that you have given your church. 
And so, Lord, we pray, though, with all the different things that may be bouncing around in our minds right now and all the what-ifs and the how-abouts and the what am I supposed to do in an hour or two, Lord, would you settle us and clear us? This is your word that we're talking about. This is a reflection and a rejoicing in our great salvation that we are talking about today. So, Lord, give us understanding. Uh, Bring salvation today. Bring obedience to the faith today. And uh, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I cannot speak for other uh, denominations. Uh, I can only pick on my own sometimes. Uh, we are a Baptist. And sometimes it seems like baptism has been, if you've ever been to like a school fair or something where they have one of those Duncan booths and they, they put a teacher or a principal up there so that everybody wants to see how many times you can get him wet. And it seems like the church has turned baptism into a dunking booth where we just see how many times we can get somebody wet. And we get them wet enough, enough times, then maybe it'll take. And sitting there going, I don't know what happened. It just didn't take this time. Well, maybe next time. And uh, it's... It's, yeah, it's not only sad, it's, it says something about how, what we understand about salvation. And that's why we wanted to park the car today. Uh, it seems like the church, by and large, and individuals are confused. We have baptism that it's come, so I'm rededicated, so I need to be baptized again. Um, I was too young, so I need to be baptized again. I, I went to a different church, so I need to be baptized again. I, 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 I didn't pray a prayer the right way, the right time, at the right place. So I need to be baptized again. So what I wanted to do is just let's go to the text. Let's understand, as we talked about last week, faith has an order. And so what... What drew me to this text, and this is a collaborative effort. Our, my brother Chris is preaching this same text over at Walnut Grove this morning. We, we both love this text. And look at it in verse 9. I want you to see first that there is a circumcision of Christ that must happen in your life. A circumcision of Christ. We've been talking about circumcision. The Jews had the right of circumcision that was given to them. And we've been talking about the fact that that came after faith. And so, let's look at verse 9. Let's just understand what this means to be in Christ and then what it brings. What is, being, what is the circumcision of Christ then bring and what is it? Uh, first, let's understand what verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Just some, just some simple basic truths that we should know, but we need to be reminded of this morning before we talk about baptism. In Christ, God has revealed himself to us bodily. John 1, 1, we know that, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, we know it too. And the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt where? Among us. And we have seen His what? His glory as the only Son 
from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Christ, God has revealed himself bodily to us. In Christ, we have been filled. We have been filled. It's another word we can say, we have been completed. He's redundant here. He's being redundantly clear. The whole fullness is to say almost the exact same thing twice. He does this to, to be intentionally redundant. Ephesians chapter 3 speaks of this fullness. And matter of fact, when we go back to Romans and we get to about chapter 5, Paul's going to get into that too. Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's, you want to know what God's will is? Fullness. Fullness. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, he, he says even more. Look how specific he gets into of what we're supposed to be about here. In chapter 4 and verse 11 he said, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of what? The fullness of Christ. Christ is the measure. Our labor together as the church. And listen, the church is going to be important to understand baptism today. And some of us may need to repent when we get to that. But what we're after, what we're after is fullness. And the fullness comes through as we labor together for each other's maturity inside a body called the church. In Christ there is Sovereign authority. Because Jesus is God. Jesus has all authority. And Jesus has created a body, a people called the church. For what reason? I answered that question a couple times. I was just impressed having a, having a pretty tough week myself. And, and Pastor Micah sent this to me. This is his. Brother, this is your point. He sent it to me by text message. That's why you want pastors. In your church. And he sent this to me and it, it impacted me. This authority. In Mark 6 verse 11. We see the, God's church. The, the pillars of God's church. And God's church having real authority. Real blessings. Real cursings. Remember Jesus sends out his disciples. To spread the gospel of the kingdom. And here's what he said. Mark 6, 11, He said to them. Whenever you enter into a house. Stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you. And they will not listen to you. When you, when you leave. Shake the dust 
that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went and proclaimed the, that sh- people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil who were sick and healed them. There is authority here that was given to them. And there was also both blessing and cursing. You can shrink this shaking off of the dust back into the Old Testament, and that is a curse. It's real authority. We're going to come back to this passage, Matthew 16. Jesus gives authority to his church. Sidebar, we need to quit apologizing for God's word because other groups of people have misused it. This is the word of God. We got no need to apologize or, or skip over things just because some, some other group of people have created something that the Bible never meant to be created. Matthew 16, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, that is who Jesus is, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Listen, this is real authority. We have no need to apologize for it. It's given to the church. Verse 11. Circumcision of Christ brings us to life spiritually. That's first. In him you are also circumcised. Now listen, lean forward in God's word this morning. You're not reading a biography about some, just something that you can halfway listen. You got to read every word here. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through what? Faith. In the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So, the circumcision of Christ is not speaking about some physical thing. Not the circumcision of the flesh that we talked about last week. It's talking about something spiritual. A spiritual circumcision, a spiritual death, and a spiritual resurrection that happens in the life of every person. It is, as you were, a spiritual operation that doesn't happen with a scalpel. It's not something you can simply go to the hospital and, and have, a, have a procedure and then get out the same day. Romans chapter 6 is important today for us to understand. Matter of fact, you might want to mark Romans 6. We're going to come back to it several times. The baptism Paul is speaking about in this text is a spiritual baptism with which we are reunited and identified with Christ both in his burial and in his resurrection this is why the resurrection is justifying resurrection romans 6 6 says this we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin something 
had to be cut off. It's dead. It's gone. It's destroyed. That's what happens in every believer's life. It is not done by the hands of men. It is not done by your hands. God, help us that we have embraced a theology that puts the scalpel in your hands. The scalpel only goes in God's hands. You were dead. You couldn't operate on yourself. Only God could. This is the circumcision of Christ that forgives. Look at verse 13 and 14. It forgives and it removes sin with its debt. And you were dead. (laughs) There it is. And you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Christ having forgiven all of us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, the set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now we don't have a picture of an operation. We have a picture of a, of a piece of paper that is a debt. Like, you, like your paper you owe, you got a, your bank has the, has the title of your, your car or the deed on your house. You're indebted to them. This debt... This sin creates a debt, and it was nailed to the cross. It died with him, and it was resurrected. It didn't come back up. There's no reason for us to remember the sins of our past when Christ has already died to forgive them. That's what he did, and this happens before anything else. When you put your faith in Christ, this is what happens. Circumcision brings victory. It brings victory over all lesser authorities In this world, in the world beyond, and in your life, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, verse 15, having put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. The fullness of Christ defeats our enemies and grants us real power. He grants us real authority. Faith in Christ brings a fullness, a fullness of salvation that precedes our works. Our necessary works. It precedes our good biblical rituals and traditions. Because Jesus is God. Jesus has all authority. And Jesus has given authority to a redeemed body called the church. For what reason? Well, this is how we now we can understand the truth about baptism. Baptism. Now, I want you to have your notes. If you don't have them, they're in the back. You're not going to bother me by getting up and getting your copy. Because I want you to see the definition here. The definition is a working definition. It comes right out of this little book. If you ever come up to me about wanting to be baptized, I'm going to get you to go through this book. Some of you know that already. And um, this because this is a definition that grabs the biblical understanding of what we are saying when we say we believe and hold to believers baptism it's not my job today to expound um, infant baptism I hope to make it I hope it the text itself and our understanding of where we stand as a church becomes clear why we believe that that is not true but baptism is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water And a believer's act of publicly committing him or herself to Christ and his people, thereby uniting a believer to the church 
and marking him or her off from the world. What I want to do today is basically take you through chapter 1 of this book and help you understand what we believe about baptism. What we believe the scripture teaches clearly. First, is baptism is an act of the church. It is the church's act. It is an ordinance of the church. It is what we would call a church mint. It has been given to the church. What is church? Well, let me just give you a couple of good quotes. First, John Calvin. Wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is no, not to be doubted a church of God exists. I like this one especially. This is the Swedish Baptist Confession of Faith of 1861. Listen to it. It's, it's, it's long, but it's good. We believe that a true Christian church is a union of believing and baptized Christians who have covenanted to strive to keep all that Christ has commanded, to sustain public worship under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to choose among themselves shepherds or overseers and deacons to administer baptism and the Lord's Supper, to practice Christian church discipline to promote godliness and brotherly love and to contribute to the general spread of the gospel. Also that every such church is an independent body free in its relationship to other Christian churches and acknowledging Christ only as its head. That is a church. And it is baptism is a church's act. We've already talked about this but let's make sure we understand does the church have any authority the church has the authority that the scripture gives it and we have said this remember let me read it again what did he say to Peter and who was Peter I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and I will give you the keys to the kingdom Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loosed. What is the keys to the kingdom? It is the gospel. That is the keys to the kingdom. What does this mean? It means that that us as the church have the authority to make a declaration and a verdict on Jesus' behalf according to what God's word has said for us to do. That applies completely to baptism. Matthew 18 in verse 20, this is, this is in regards to church discipline, the context of this passage. Just read it. Double check me. Matthew 18, verse 20. If he, the one who is under church discipline, refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be as you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. The church has Authority. Matthew 28, 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end 
of the age, the Great Commission means nothing if the church doesn't have authority. But she does. She has been given authority. We are the blood-bought church of God, the redeemed gathered together. Therefore, it is the local church. Listen to me. Therefore, it is the local church that has the authority to baptize, and no other organization does. It's the way you know you've been biblically baptized. The church has been given this authority. I did not make it up. I did not create it this morning. But to understand biblical believers' baptism is to know that God did not give the authority for your summer camp or for some good well-meaning ministry to start dunking people. It means no more than some little boy who snuck up to you behind the pool and dunks you under the water. It is the church who has been given this authority by Christ. And we should treasure it. And we should understand what it is. Baptism, you see, is going on the record. That's why it's important. It doesn't bring salvation. But it is when a, when a believer goes on the record. It's when the church goes on the record in the life of another believer. Baptism is the church affirming and displaying a believer's union in Christ. Baptism affirms something. What? A believer's profession of faith in Christ. And so the church is, has an act in that. It's, it's affirming it. It is displaying it. It's displaying the fact that this believer who we are baptizing has died spiritually with Christ has been raised united with Christ in his resurrection and has all the rights and all the benefits of the child of God in his bloodball church again referring to Romans 6 in verse 3 do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ, who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, too, might walk in newness of life. The church, so to speak, is going on record here, saying this person has, been, has died with Christ, has been resurrected with Christ. Galatians 3, verse 25 says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What baptism is, is to put on display that this has already happened. It isn't salvific. It isn't bringing salvation. It isn't justifying. It is putting on display. The church is first putting it on display that this is true. The church puts on display that through the power of the Holy Spirit, this particular person has, has already been saved once for all and been joined with Christ and his people forever. Baptism is described by Scripture then, secondly, and I'm just working out that definition up top, as a total immersion in water. We do it because that's what our example in Scripture showed. And there's, 
It's replete with this. Here's just one. John 3.23 says, John was also baptizing at Inan near Salim because the water was plentiful there and the people were coming up and being baptized. The word means to immerse. The pattern is immersion. And the display only makes sense if you immerse. Romans 6 Again, says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see the picture there? Spiritually, there is a death and a burial and a resurrection to spiritual life. Immersion in water, then, puts that on display. The Bible models it. The Bible displays that baptism is an act of the church, but it's also an act of the believer. Baptism is a believer's act. The, the, one quote from the book says, a church baptizes, baptizes, a Christian gets baptized. Because baptism is affirming and displaying something, not it's simply in the church, the church bearing witness to it, but that person is. That Christ is already my Savior and my Lord. I have already, these things are already true in my life. There is a clear order in Scripture that a believer is responsible to do. Acts 2, verse 37. Remember Peter's preaching at Pentecost. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, everyone for whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 41. So those who received his word and were baptized were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, just make a mental note that they were added. That's important. The Bible means what it says. It doesn't say words without, for no reason. So then baptism clearly and simply is, a, is the first act of faith in the life of a believer. It is where that person, that individual is saying... Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's my Lord. Baptism is a believer's publicly committing himself, herself to Christ. It is not walking an aisle. That is something that was started at a place and time in history. I'm talking about what the Scripture says is the public, is your public commitment. Your public commitment to himself it happens right there in a, body of, in, a, in a body of water by immersion where a person says, I am going on the record. That Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But listen to me now. What baptism is not. It is not an instrument of renewal or rededication. That's not its intended purpose. And some of us, this may, this may rock us back on our heels a little bit for a minute. And, it, and I want to do that. Because I want us for the next two weeks to understand. That that is not the purpose of baptism. Baptism is meant to display your justification. 
It is not putting on display your progress of sanctification through your life. That's not his purpose. That is the Lord's Supper's purpose. It is the reason we do it every week in the body of Christ. We, we gather to rededicate, to renew, to reorient, and all of those things that we all need and that we all experience. We call this while we gather as a church every week. We gather the church every week because we need this. I need this this week to gather with you to hear from God's word, to hear you sing the gospel to God and over me and over each other. We come to the Lord's Supper for that. That's next week. But there is an inerrant danger here that he wants you to say on both ends of the ditches, so to speak, to declare that you are saved but feel no need to be baptized. This doesn't exist in the, in the text of Scripture. Repent and be what? And be baptized. There's, there's no place for someone who's experienced the circumcision of Christ in their heart, but have no desire to want to stand up and go on the record and say, I'm with him. And I don't care what it costs me. And listen, most of the places in the rest of the world, when you stand up and say that in the waters of baptism, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your family. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your job. We've seen it. And you just have to never go on a mission trip to be ignorant of it. But if you go, you're going to see it. There's people come out at baptisms. It's not just believers across the ocean. They're, they're people that want to mark you. And we stand up to be marked. We're with him. There is only one baptism. There's no such thing as being rebaptized. There's only one baptism, and either you are biblically baptized or you have not been. There's only one baptism, and it is biblical baptism. Baptism is a public declaration. It is if we went to a courtroom and that little person is sitting there typing away, putting everything you say on record, and you're about to say something, and you knew once you say it, you can't unsay it. It's going to be written down on a record for all, for all eternity. Read back that record. What did he say? What you say, you, you're careful to say. Baptism is you going on the record. Baptism is an act of devotion. And I thought about this. I don't want to get off on a tangent. I don't want to get your mind off on a tangent. But what do you really mean when we stand to our feet sometimes and pledge allegiance to a flag? What does it really mean to you? I'm trying to get you to understand that sometimes I think this word devotion or this word allegiance begins to mean about as much to most people as standing up, putting our hand over our heart because mom and daddy used to do it and pledge allegiance. Sitting and going, you really need to go to lunch with someone who has lost a parent or a child serving their country to understand what it costs. You really need to have a conversation with someone whose family's been in the military their whole life and has bounced around all over this countryside to take care of us, to say what it means to pledge allegiance. And, it, and that pales in comparison to what it means to devote ourselves to Christ and to Him alone. 
God commands that we devote ourselves to him. There is no closet Christians. There is no such thing as a believer who does not feel compelled, a burning desire in their soul to stand up and say, I'm with him, come what may. And if you're not willing to stand and say, come what may, listen, you are not saved. Because that's what the new birth brings. It, it, does, it brings a burning desire in your, in your soul to say, I don't even know that I know what it means, but I'm with Christ. I'm with Christ. Believer, baptism is a believer's act of committing, listen, to Christ church. You have, we have separated this, brothers and sisters. We have separated Christ from his church, and he cannot be separated from her. He died for her. He bought her. He redeemed her. He created her. She is his. You remember Acts 2.41? Those 3,000 people that were saved and they were added to something? What were they added to? The church in Jerusalem. That's where they were added. See, don't, don't speak in Christianese language that means nothing. There is an invisible church. Oh, yes, there is. But there is a visible church, and God created it. Christ set it forth. That church went from 120 in Acts 1 to several thousand almost overnight. They were baptized, and they stepped. Listen, they stepped out of the world, and they stepped into the church. There's no such thing as stepping out of the world and not stepping into the church. It is, it is just a person who's not willing to say, I am with him, and I am with his people. Lock, stock, and barrel. Baptism is not only a committing to God's people, it is a receiving God's people. <laughs> we can be hard to receive sometimes. <laughs> to trust in Jesus is to join a company of people who have placed their trust in Jesus. And as we have read in Scripture already, we are all a growing people. Our faith is not given to us in a fully mature state. I wish it was. Wouldn't that make it a whole lot easier? It would be, and even in my life right now. But we are growing through the suffering, together through each other visual suffering, through our suffering as, as the body of Christ. We are growing, but we do it Together, we stepped out of the world, we stepped into the church, and we must receive. This person who is baptized is received into the church as part of our family. The gospel, according to Ephesians chapter 2, not only reconciles us to God, but it has the power and the, and, and the created determination to reconcile us to each other. It's no place for bigotry or racism or all these things that Paul's having to deal with in the church. And that we will too. But our, our point of reference here is that the gospel reconciles and we receive those whom Christ saves. Because Christ saves them. We don't. Our responsibility is to receive those who've been united there is a body there is a body of christ first corinthians 12 12 says for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ 
For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're one family. Baptism is this picture. It joins us to the church and to his people. It is a receiving In baptism, a Christian commits to loving and serving and submitting to Christ's people. Just like we do in each other's families, because we are family. Baptism unites the believer to Christ's church and marks them off from the world. It is the front door of church membership. To say, I am willingly embracing an accountable life in a communal life with a particular group of people. This is so important that if God ever moves one of us to another church, we even as Baptists transfer our letters to show that we are never outside of the communal and accountability life of the body of Christ. We don't want to be outside of that because Christ died to bring us into that. Baptism is a picture of that. It is the front door to the church. You know, if you've ever been overseas, you're given a passport. And a passport does something. It displays your citizenship. This is what baptism does. It puts on public display that you are a kingdom citizen. But what, pa- what, what baptism doesn't do is the same thing what your passport doesn't do. It doesn't make you anything. It's not the power for it to make anything. It is the power to simply put on display what is already true in your life. So baptism, brothers and sisters, isn't some man-made invention that is optional in your life. It is a God-commanded, Christ-modeled reality and ordinance that God has given that is binding in every generation at all times to all people. It is precious and it is a gift. So who should be baptized this morning? Well, turn with me just as a way of illustration to Acts not going to just want you to see this story. I think most of you know this story. Before there was a church that started in any particular town in Paul's missionary journey, there was a story, stories that went on in the life of people who became Christians who began the church. And here we have one such story. We have this Philippian jailer. Remember him? Acts 16 and verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas, who, by the way, were were preaching the gospel, ended up getting beaten beaten for it, thrown in jail. After midnight, Paul and Silas, in jail, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and every bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. He and his family, and then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Who should be baptized? Those who receive the gospel. This is the message here. What must I do to be saved? You see it? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you're sitting there going, what about his household? They heard the gospel too and God saved them also. And if you don't believe that's powerful, I'm telling you, I've been there. I've done that. I've seen him do it. Saved, saved the matriarch and the rest of their house repented and came to Christ. This happens all over the world when the Spirit of God saves. He, sometimes he saves everybody. This is an amazing thing to see and be a part of. Those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and repent of their sins and turn to Christ as their Savior and Lord. Those who must be baptized. But they must be biblically baptized. There is a spiritual baptism and there is a physical baptism. The order is critical. And so here's the question today. That's my closing question. First is, have you believed? And the second is, will you obey? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that your word is clear. And, and uh, we thank you for the privileges that you have given the church, these, these ordinances that we now not only talk about, but now we are about to celebrate. And so, Lord, now before we come to the tables, to your table that you have commanded us to do until you come, we pause because you tell us in your word not to come to the table in an unworthy way, but to avail ourselves of the cross where we as your children can come and ask for forgiveness. And so, Lord, it is now that we do that. That, Lord, if... If we need to be reoriented or refocused, Lord, just reminded that you are good. That your gospel is enough. And that we are grateful that if we never experienced any other grace in our life, the rest of our whole life long, oh, what a grace is it to be your child. So, Lord, it is with that heart that we turn toward you and toward each other as we worship and as we sing and as we give to your church and as we come to the tables to remember that you, your son's body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us so that we not only might be saved, but that we might be adopted into a family that you've called the church. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would bring people into your church today through salvation or through joining, through membership, or through baptism, Lord. We trust the Holy Spirit to do his work.
for he never fails to. May we rejoice in you now through Jesus Christ. Amen.